0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Meal, One Workout, your new approach to food and fitness, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Butler and Don Sullivan.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Aaron Butler here, bringing you the next installment in the One Meal, One Workout podcast extravaganza. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about uh, fitness and health by the numbers, Hopefully, by the time this comes out, it'll have a more clever title actually on the podcast, but that's all I can come up with for <laughs> today. So we'll see um, See if I come up with something more clever or not. But with me, as always, as I always say, is Mr. Don Sullivan. Hi, hey, Aaron. Hey, Don. How are you doing today?
2: I'm all right. How about yourself?
1: I'm fantastic. And as well, uh, our podcasting guru extraordinary, Mr. Mark Cockrell.
0: Greetings, humans of Earth. <laughs>
1: so uh i'm I'm excited about this episode i've actually had this on the books for probably two months um so i think don since the first episode you came on i actually typed this up like pre pre or post show about going over some of this stuff so um we'll get into that in just a minute but before then uh mark are you just are you wasting away on your on your super low calorie diet what's going on tell us about it
0: well since we're talking about by the numbers today i i think i've mentioned this before on the podcast but if i have uh forgive me um i have children and therefore don't sleep much um
1: uh child induced insomnia as we discussed last week yes
0: amen cii uh so anyway as we've uh talked about before um when I analyzed how much I had been eating before I started trying to lose weight, it was often often in the six thousand calorie diet range um and, and an app that i we've talked about on the the uh, when we did the fitness tech thing the calorie counter app uh has a little um calculator thing, and I don't put a lot of faith in those things, but they are good round numbers you know um uh so you put in your age and your weight and your height and your basic activity level, and it tells you how many calories you need to sustain that weight, or how many calories you need to lose weight, or how many calories you need to gain weight. So at my height and my weight, my losing weight, my rapid weight loss, rapid weight loss calorie intake is 4,000 calories. Um, which, you know, makes sense because I had been eating more than that. So yeah. if I cut it down to only four, only four thousand calories, what is that, Aaron? That's like three and a half Big Macs a day. Yeah, um, you
1: could you could eat. So I mean, to put it in numbers, you could
0: eat. Um, let's see,
1: round numbers. You could eat forty eggs, uh, <laughs> if you wanted to. So you could have, you know, a three four dozen
0: egg omelet.
1: Four eggs every hour for ten hours. <laughs> uh, you could have. Let's uh, say so you could have three large Dr. Peppers. 20, uh, 20 Taco Bell tacos and two Mexican pizzas, uh, roughly, and then have some chorizo on the side as a snack. You could eat – that would be like a – And a Tic Tac. Yeah, and a Tic Tac. That would be an equivalent of about uh, 6,000 – 4,000 calories would be like you could eat a whole large meat lover's pizza.
0: Right. Now, now clearly that's not going to last, right? So that's yeah. to maintain my current weight. I don't want to maintain my current weight. So as uh, I lose weight, those numbers are going to come down. And when I hit yeah. the you know two fifty to two forty ranked uh, range there, it's going to say you know twenty one hundred calories or something like that. And that's what right. I'm shooting right now. But uh, I've been doing the food log thing, um, and I love this app again that I mentioned uh, previously, the calorie counter by Fat Secret. Uh, you you just point it at a point the camera at a, at a barcode, and it says, "Did you eat this? How many?" of them did you eat and you tell it and it adds it to. so i have been according to their calculations eating between 40 and 50 percent of my recommended calorie intake so at <laughs> 2000 calories i'm eating half of what they say i should eat wow right.
1: yeah you, you know you want to be careful you don't want to starve yourself and put your body into some kind of weird starvation mode but i think at 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 your weight and at, at my weight that i was dealing with um i think that there it isn't a perfect sliding scale you know what i'm saying so you're not starving yourself if you're eating 2500 calories a day even if you could eat 4000 and and maintain that but you have got plenty for body for bodily uh for bodily functions you're not eating your organs or digesting your muscles or anything like that yeah, at, 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 at 2000
0: 2, calories. calories my body's doing just fine yeah there's no there's no shortage there
1: right on well, the and the cool thing is um what that does is that allows you to slowly change your eating habits, as opposed to um, suddenly going on some kind of super, super low calorie, super strict right. diet, and kind of just come in for a landing, like we talked about in the plateau episode.
0: Yeah, I don't have to do the HCG diet necessarily. I mean, I could, and yeah. and, and be at 500 calories and drop 40 pounds like cutting off my left arm, uh, <laughs> or I can still eat, you know, fast food twice a day. But make smarter choices and hit mm-hmm. that 2,000, two thousand, even twenty five hundred calories. If I blow it and have a really overeating day and eat three thousand calories, I'm still losing weight.
1: Exactly. That's funny.
0: Well, on a on a uh, totally changing
1: gears here, um, I just wanted to point out to all of our listeners out there that knee pain stinks. Yeah. I, uh, I. Amen. I yeah, Mark understands. He's got a, a bum knee or two, three maybe. I don't know. Yeah, um, four and a half. Um, I, I hyperextended my right knee a couple of times, once when I was about five and once when I was uh, in college. And that's no, always been kind of my bad knee. So when I started running, I thought, surely that knee's going to give me problems. And it never did. Not a single twinge out of it. My left knee's got a little arthritis in it. You know, Arthur's come to visit my left knee a little bit. If I bend it a sh- certain way, it kind of hurts. But it doesn't bother me when I'm running. And last week, I went to start running. I ran about a mile, and my knee just started killing me. And I'm afraid, I'm concerned that it might be ITB syndrome. I don't know if y'all familiar with that. Yeah, Iliotibial tibia sin, uh, band syndrome. It's a big tendon that runs like from your hip all the way down to your knee on the outside of your leg and basically holds your leg on kind of. And it can get inflamed and irritated from things like biking and running and uneven surfaces and up and down hills and blah, 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 and everything that I've been doing for the last year. So it's kind of one of those things. It's a use injury. You just got to watch it. There's. You got to stretch. You got to exercise. So I'm taking it easy. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed because I've got a 5K race on Sunday that I was thinking about up into a 15K, but I think I'm going to end up just doing the 5K and may end up walking part of it if my knee's still hurting. But I'm I'm going to do it anyway. I think just to
0: participate. But you still on track for the tough mutter though?
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm going to tough that out one way or another. If my knee's killing me, it's gonna it's just going to be killing me. Um, it won't be the only thing that's up.
2: killing you if you're doing tough mutter.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I may just have to baby it a little bit um, leading up to it. Maybe only do bike riding, and not do any running. Um, but it isn't to be honest with you; it's not a lot of running on the Tough Mudder. There's some running. You know, you go a mile and then you do an obstacle. There's 25 obstacles in 10 miles. Yeah. So a lot of the, so a lot of it is you run a half a mile, you do an obstacle. You run a half a mile, you do an obstacle. That
0: kind of thing. So. Well, Aaron, from a guy who has that issue, uh, I can highly recommend. Um, stationary bike, even, uh, and if you can go to a gym maybe where there's a recumbent bike, almost no impact on the knee, still a really good workout.
1: Yeah, I have a, a a nice bike that my father-in-law gave me. We, I know you and I talked about it, Mark, and it actually has a stand that I can put it on and turn it into a stationary bike. Right. So I, I thought about doing that, especially for bad weather days, but anyway. So uh, in the news, I found a really interesting article on our conservative uh, website, New York Times, ultra-conservative, uh, right-wing, fundamentalist, New York Times website. A <laughs> um, little tongue-in-cheek humor there.
0: Rupert Murdoch uh, and Joe endorsed.
1: <laughs> and it was really interesting, and it, uh, it's it's quite in-depth, so I'm not going to go into all of it, but basically they talk about the obesity epidemic, and they go into a whole bunch of reasons why people in the United States are getting more and more obese, what's changed since in the 40s and 50s, the number of people who uh, walk or run, excuse me, Ride in cars now versus walking. Um, the amount of canned goods and uh, frozen foods and preprocessed foods. Um, like here's a here's a here's a sample sample line of paragraph. Most meals were prepared and eaten at home. This is talking about the 40s and 50s. Even when both parents worked, eating out was a special event. Convenience foods were canned fruits and vegetables, not frozen lasagna or tater tots, which are awesome, by the way. <laughs> Typical breakfast was hot or cold cereal, sweetened with raisins or fresh fruit, not a Pop-Tart, jelly donut, or 500-calorie bagel with 200 calories of cream cheese. And so, um, you know, as we've moved and become more and more urban and have the uh, commuting lifestyle and kids go to school 30 miles from where they live, um, you know, people ride more and more and more, they walk less and less and less. Uh, there was no video games, you know, a, a game that a 13 year old played in 1940 was freeze tag <laughs> right.
0: or basketball yeah.
1: <laughs> or basketball. Now you play freeze tag. You're you, what you're playing is you're playing uh counter-strike freeze tag where your guy gets frozen. The other guy has to come shoot him to <laughs> that kind of thing. So is um, that real? Yeah, there is a, I don't know if, I don't know if Counter-Strike has that version. I know that Medal of Honor had it. It was actually pretty fun. <laughs> um, the way you won was you got everybody on the other team frozen and, uh, you had to point your gun at your, uh, your, uh, do a friendly fire and hold it for like three seconds to unfreeze them. It was, it was quite fun. Um, but Don, I mean, Don, you're a child of the nineties. Am I correct? Um, in the sense that you were in your prepubescent years in the, in the, uh, I don't, I'm trying to do the math. What year were you born? If you don't mind sharing. I know you told me the first episode. You're born 83. Yes. So that means so in the 1990s you were from seven to 17 years old. So you were you were a child of the 90s exactly.
2: I, I was a child of the parachute pants era. Yes. And in the uh, late the 80s, 80s, early 90s. No, no,
1: that, that was a holdover in the in the into the 90s. But uh, yes,
0: parachute pants were retro by the time you got to them, brother. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah okay, well, I, 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 I guess actually, once Vanilla Ice got into them, they weren't really street anymore. So there wasn't a whole lot of credibility <laughs> left to them. Is that what you're saying?
1: I really wanted a pair of parachute pants but guess what when you're an overweight junior high kid they don't make parachute yeah. pants big enough for you. They didn't come
0: in husky <laughs> sizes did they? No, right. They don't call them thing. parachute
2: pants they just call them pants. <laughs> right. They
1: they uh it's probably a good thing cuz like I tell people now I wear an extra large shirt. I can wear a large but you don't want me to. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you probably didn't want me to wear a pair of, pair, uh, pair of parachute pants. Um yeah so anyway Don so you grew up in the in the video game era. Um. See, I there was there there was no video game console when I was a little young kid. It, the Atari 2600 didn't come out till I was in high school. And so, um, would you say by chance that that had an effect on your fitness level, your desire and love of video games?
2: Given the fact that I probably spent an on an average Saturday between eight and twelve hours playing video games, Holy I would say yes, Moses. greatly. Yeah. There you go. And for pretty much my entire life I got my NES when I was 4 they had just come out 4 years old. <laughs> my parents thought that was a good gift of some sort. I couldn't tell you whether it was birthday Christmas or whatever, but I remember I had Mario.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's one of the advantages of growing up growing up poverty stricken like I did. I we couldn't afford the good toys. So I still had to go right. out and point sticks at my brother and say bang.
1: And you had to walk places too, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. All right, well let's just jump right in to Fitness by the Numbers, also known as some other title that Aaron comes up with later that's better, or Mark and Don make a suggestion on. Um, so I think I'm, I'm finding how ignorant, and I don't, I'm not saying stupid or moronic, ignorant is the correct term. Uh, Mark, you're you're a wordsmith. What is the definition of ignorant?
0: Ignorant is without knowledge. Yeah,
1: so these people, how ignorant people are of their own health stats. Maybe that's a good title, something about your health stats or something like that. So everybody knows their age. Well, most everybody. Um, people usually know their weight that people typically kind of have an idea of how much they weigh within a few pounds. But then average person, if you say, What's your average blood pressure? They say, I don't know. What's your hemoglobin A1C or what's your blood sugar? I don't know. Aaron, and I'm, before I'm we not, started
0: this podcast, I had never heard of hemoglobin A1C. Didn't know what well, it you was. Go.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you before we're done. Um, or your lipid panel. And so, um, and I'm talking about uh, an overweight person here. If you're six foot one male and you weigh 175 pounds, it's probably not that important that you know your hemoglobin A1C. If you're six foot one, you weigh 300 pounds. It's very important that you know your hemoglobin A1C. And so, uh,
0: context, it's all about context.
1: It is. So let's talk about that first. Blood pressure. I am not a physician, nor do I play one on TV. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you for the, for the overused joke, Aaron. You're welcome. Uh, what I would recommend (laughs) is almost every insurance company will pay for an annual wellness visit they call it nowadays or a physical uh if you're um if you
2: they have
1: used to insurance, call it a
2: checkup right yeah they just about- call
1: it a checkup now they call it a wellness visit it's preventive medicine and um you can go down to walgreens stick your arm in the cuff unless you're a big guy then it won't fit in the cuff and those aren't that accurate but you should get your blood pressure taken at least once a year if you're overweight any of any amount really doesn't hurt period but um i would say get it done once a year every six months because what you might find out is it might be fine one year and then it might be bad the next year uh, and so a good quote unquote um, blood pressure is 120 or below for systolic and eighty or below for diastolic. So you always hear the numbers thrown around BP you say 120 over eighty this guy's blood pressure is 75 over twenty we need some epinephrine stat and things like that on you know on TV shows. What that is is one is the blood pressure when your heart's squeezing the other is when the blood pressure when your heart is not squeezing. So it's the thum thum. The high pressure is the most pressure in your veins. The low pressure is the least pressure. Both the numbers are have have um, different risks associated with them. Your systolic typically wants to be below 120. Your diastolic below 180. If your systolic, sorry, say it again.
0: uh, The the help me out. The diastolic. That's the resting one, right? The small, the bottom number. Mm -hmm. The, The what people may not understand is why it's important for that one to be low and why people panic over that one. If that one is high, your systems literally never get a rest. Right. They're always under a high pressure. Now, yeah. if the high one, if the top one is high, you can, that's not good, but at least you're resting every beat from it. Yeah, and exactly. So that's that's the important thing that people don't often realize.
1: Yeah, so the, yeah, the what, and what happens, and I, I'm, I was going to get into this a little bit more, but we can go ahead and jump right into it. The... The diastolic high number, what it can do to you is – let me back up on it again. Let me back up and then back up again and back up one more time. This is our tertiary backup.
0: Do you need a, a, a beeper? Beep, beep,
1: beep. Okay, I'm there. A lot of the problems associated with high blood pressure and diabetes and um, uh, high cholesterol, which are the three things we're going to tie into today, those bad numbers, they are, they are unsymptomatic until you have a problem. So that high blood pressure that Mark's talking about uh, will damage your kidneys over time, possibly. But the problem is you don't know your kidneys are being damaged until they don't work. (laughs) I don't remember the number off the top of my head because, like I said, I'm not a doctor. But your kidneys only have to function at like 15% or 20%. In other words, you start out with 100% kidney function. You don't even know your kidneys aren't working at 100% until it gets down to like 15%. So you've already damaged them 85%. I don't remember the numbers. But... So it's one of those silent killers in the same way with your blood sugar. You don't know that it's causing problems until suddenly you can't feel your toes or suddenly you start having eye problems or you start having uh, ather- atherosclerosis, which is hardening of the arteries and it's very hard- hardening for me to say. Um, so all three of these main things we're going to talk about, these numbers that we're going to talk about, all do things to you that you don't know are happening until you already got damage done, which is why you need to monitor them. So your BP, 120 over 80 or below would be great. Uh, My blood pressure, whenever I decided to make a change in my life, was averaging 145 over 92. Both of those numbers are what they call hypertensive or high blood pressure. The hypertensive is the fancy word for it. So um, 145 over 92, every time I took it. I always always told them I had white coat syndrome. You know, I got nervous, get my blood pressure taken, which was actually just a flat-out denial to myself. I was denying, and I was living in my own little dream world, saying that's why my blood pressure was high, not because I weighed 375 pounds. So, yeah, 145 over 92. Uh, They do control it with a lot of people with medications to keep it down so it doesn't continue to damage your weight, even if you don't lose the weight. So, Mark, do you have any idea, just off the top of your head, what your average blood pressure is?
0: Well, uh, right now, it runs right around 125 over uh, 85, but that's because I take a daily medication to, to make it so. Um, right. I was right around you. I was uh, uh, the 150 uh, to 160 range, over 110 or so, um, uh, consistently. It was one of those things that every time I took it, they went, you know, that's that's high. That's not we're gonna hospitalize you high, but that's a little worrisome high. And then every time they took it over a course of years, it was like, okay, now we've got to do something about this.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, history of it, like I said, ongoing is the worst thing. That that overall that long term. If if you were sixty and hadn't treated it yet, you would art you would be in that situation. So right,
0: and and being a guy, the typical guy, I only go to the hospital, to the doctor when I have to drag myself out of the bed onto a gurney to do it. So right. they would only get a reading from me once every twenty four months, mm-hmm. and so it was hard to finally uh, to gather enough data to realize, hey, this guy, this guy's got problems. Well, and, and we'll, they'll
1: cut you slack too when you're on steroids and you're sick and you're on this and that. They're like, well, he's probably the Whatever we just gave him, or this, or that, or the virus, or what so actually like,
0: made me go check it out. I mean, other than the fact that I'm obviously fat. I mean, let's let's pretend I'm not in denial about that, like I was. But what made me do it was I went to give blood at one of the the bloodmobile places, and they refused me because my blood pressure was too high. And apparently, there's a risk there of like blowing out a vein if they puncture it while well, it's too high. We got and, a bleeder. <laughs> yeah, and so when when I couldn't do something altruistic because I was too busy damaging my own body, I thought eh, we should probably do something about that.
1: Right. Well, for me, what it was uh, is, you know, thank God, and I mean that in the truest sense for Piedmont Healthcare. They have a good employee, me- employee wellness program, and they require us to have a basic employee physical. It's not a turn-your-head-and-cough physical. It's a check your blood pressure, check your um, they checked our lipids, they check our A1C, things like that. Um, so that's what got me, you know, having that done a few times. Um, got me kind of opening my eyes about it. So, yeah, so my blood pressure uh, was 145 over 92 average. Now it's averaging right at 120 over 70, 75. And it, it's amazing. In three months, I'd only lost about 40 pounds, uh, 45 pounds. I was still over three, well over 300 pounds. My blood pressure, after I had sat and rested for a few minutes at the occupational health, I just stopped by to get my blood pressure checked. That day it was 111 over 71. And I will tell you, I almost cried when she told me. <laughs> I'm I'm not joking. How much my blood pressure came down? I danced out of there.
0: And so, like, I think most people have that that tipping point somewhere in there, where you go from normal to high, and you yep. just happen to hit that fairly early. Uh, yep. You know, I've lost sixty pounds and still haven't hit that yet. Um, at some point, I'm going to hit that though, and that's why, like uh, the, our. Doctors uh, a couple of episodes back were saying it's very important that you um, see a doctor regularly while you're making these changes to your body, so they can adjust adjust to it.
1: Right, because because you're on uh, I don't know li- Lipitor, not Lipitor, um, some kind of I can't think of all the names escape me right now. Yeah. Blood low, pressure medicine. Lotrell. Lotrell, thank you. And uh, and you don't want to continue to take that and have an abnormally low blood pressure, which is not good either. That's usually that's associated with being dead. When your blood pressure right. is really, really low.
0: <laughs> and plus, let's not forget, there's no medication ever in existence that doesn't have side effects. So right. the the fewer of them you can be on, the better.
1: Yeah. So, so that's number one, guys, out there listening. If you don't know your blood pressure, find out what your blood pressure is. Monitor your blood pressure, especially if you're overweight. And I'm assuming that uh, a percentage of our listeners are going to be that person that's trying to get, As my dad used to say, off a high center, get started losing weight, getting started more healthy. Now, the other thing, Mark, that I was doing, and I know you've been working on this too, is being more active. Right. Because the more active you are, it also helps your blood pressure um, and your resting heart rate and all those kind of things. So, number one, BP. Number two is the mystery stat that Mark had never heard of, the hemoglobin A1C. Uh, For years, you know, they track diabetics, and they still do, with your blood sugar. They poke your finger. They poke your arm. And they, they, t- they stick it on the little strip and your, your glucose is 160 or 130 or 220 and they have numbers and people kind of get associated with those numbers as to what's good and what's bad. But to get your real blood sugar level, they do, they used to do a fasting 24 hour fasting glucose test and, uh, or they would do a glucose tolerance test where you would fast, they take your blood sugar, then they would make you drink a sugary drink and then they take it again and those kind of things. Well, I don't know how long ago they they discovered this, but they figured out there's this thing called the hemoglobin it's called hemoglobin A1C that's uh, a good marker for your average blood sugar. They can take your blood, check your hemoglobin A1C level, and that will kind of that will correlate to the average blood sugar you've had for the last three months. So it won't tell you about spikes in your blood sugar and things like that, but it's a a way that they really uh, it's easier to track diabetics. A it doesn't require um, doesn't require fasting and so it's more accurate in that sense and b it gives you an overall scope so it kind of gives you a a a big picture um of of what it's like so under six is normal uh four to six is typically normal um six to 6.5 they call they don't call it um borderline diabetic is what they used to call it back in the day. Now they call it pre-diabetic because if you're already over six, you're probably heading towards 6.5. Used to be 7.0 and higher was diabetic. Now they've actually dropped it down to 6.5 in a lot of the literature. And they will. your physician would very possibly begin treating you for diabetes at a hemoglobin A1c of 6.5 or higher. So a uh, year and a half ago, Mark, um, almost two years ago, I had my employee physical. They did a hemoglobin A1c for the first time on me, and it came back at, drum roll, 6.5. And I knew at that time, seven in my head, ah, man, I'm getting pretty close to being diabetic. I probably ought to do something about this. So I immediately went out and started losing weight. Absolutely. I totally ignored the fact that it was (laughs) 6.7. The reason they did the A1C on me was because my blood sugar had come back high when I did my regular glucose test. So fast forward six, nine, six or nine months. I don't remember the exact time frame. And this was, this was one of the three things that put me over the edge to really start getting healthy was, Uh, I went back for employee physical again. My A1C was 6.9. It had not only not gone down, it had gone up. So now I was about as borderline diabetic as you could be. And uh, I went to my physician because I happened to have a cold, and I told him what it was. And he said, well, you know, Aaron, if you'll let me, I would start treating you right now. I'd put you on metformin or something like that uh, for diabetes. So uh, did you let him? I said, I really don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want the big D in my chart. You know, I don't want to ever be diagnosed in my medical record as a diabetic. I said, give me three months, Dr. Taylor, because that's his name. Dr. Taylor, give me three months. Let me see what I can do. And he said, okay. He said, you know, nobody ever comes back to me three months later and has made any change, but we'll let you do it. So I went away, uh, went away sad and um, started my regimen of things and making the changes that we've discussed at different times in the different shows. And uh, went back, I believe it was right at 90 days later. And my A1C was 5.3. And I danced another little jig down the hall. Yeah. And I was very excited. Then about another six months later, I had it done as part of my employee. Actually, I had it done last October as part of the adoption process for my son Nathaniel. I had to do get a drug screening and a basic lipid panel and things like that, a health check. And I asked my doctor, Dr. Taylor. I said, go ahead and pull the A1C on me while you got my blood. You might as well do it. You know? He said, no problem. We'll just throw this under your wellness visit and take care of it. He did 4.8. And uh, again, I danced down the hallway. So now I'm on the low end of normal on my A1C from diabetic to normal, less than a year. Um, And I'll talk a little bit in my eat less tip today about one of the things I did to kind of help that. But yeah, so if you're overweight and you don't know what an A1C is or don't know what your blood sugar is, maybe you've tracked it that way, you haven't ever had your blood sugar checked, um, I would recommend it. You should be able to ask your physician if they draw blood on you, um, for something, you should be able to ask them what your blood sugar is, what your A1C is. They should they should tell you. I would I would encourage you. I work in the healthcare industry um, with physicians. Find yourself a doctor that is communicative, that will tell you these stats, that will tell you these numbers, and explain to you what they mean, so that you're uh, educated about it. You can Google hemoglobin A1C. You can Google um, you know blood pressure levels and those kind of things. But if you don't have a way to get the numbers, you still don't know what it means. Next thing, lipid panel which is a, a fancy way of saying how much fat do you have in your blood? Um,
0: and of which kind talks- of fat, right?
1: Yeah, of different, and there's different kinds. Um, and there's actually even fan- there's the basic lipid panel and there's extended lipid panels. There's all kinds of studies about um, the lipids or fats in your blood. So a basic lipid panel me- measures your total cholesterol. Um, and you always hear about people saying, that's trans fat and monosaturated and unsaturated and stereo fats, mono fat stereo. That's a bad joke. Sorry. Um, dish. That's my. That's the best I got today, folks. Can we edit uh, that out too, Aaron? Yeah, I can go back and edit that. Out. <laughs> Put a marker I there. Get today. The I saw the the skit on Saturday Night Live. It was a Miami Vice spoof. This is from the '80s, and whenever stereo television was first coming out, and it said "in mono" and had one headphone. That's awesome. Was, uh, I love it. I can just still picture it. But um, so lipid panel. You, the three basic components of a standard panel are HDL, high-density lipoprotein, LDL, low-density lipoprotein, and triglycerides. Um, HDL is what they call the good fat. LDL is what they call the bad fat. And triglycerides is what they call the other fat. <laughs> so you typically want your HDL to be around 40 to 60. It can be different for women. Uh, women typically have a little bit higher HDL. You typically want your bad LDL to be below 130. You want your triglycerides typically to be below 150. And then your total cholesterol, you usually want to be below 200. The way you get your total cholesterol is very simple. You add your HDL plus your LDL plus your triglycerides divided by 5. So you divide your triglycerides by 5, add it to your other two scores, and that will give you your total. Um, and you want that to be less than 200. Now, saying that, if you have certain risk factors, those numbers change. If you have diabetes, if you have high blood pressure, they want those numbers to be even lower. Uh, you know, one of the best selling drugs ever is Lipitor, because it's a fairly low risk um lipid lowering drug that literally millions of people are on Lipitor um for that reason. Because uh high cholesterol, as everybody knows because they see all the commercials, is one of the main causes, risk factors for all kinds of heart disease and things. Um so if you don't know what your lipid depends, if you don't know that you're if you I'm not I, I'm not as tied up on um Mark being able to quote to me, my HDL is this, my LDL is this, my triglycerides are that, my total was this. I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about that. But Mark, I would be interested to know: Does Mark know if his cholesterol is good or bad? Does Don know if he has a good cholesterol level? Do does Aaron know if he has a good cholesterol level? Because if I don't know, that means I probably haven't checked it recently, and I probably should.
0: Just so you know, last time I had mine checked, it was at 201.
1: Oh, so close. Yeah,
0: that's, <laughs> that's like making a B minus on a test, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So, are you on Lipitor or something like that, Mark? No, no, that's good. Especially because I know you've had in the past quite a bit of fast food in your diet. Yes. Um, Because you know, fatty foods tend to make it. Now, one thing that's weird about HDL is HDL usually can only goes up from eating special things like certain types of fish and uh, omega three fatty acid stuff. I'm not, you know, again, I'm not a doctor. And exercise, exercise will actually increase your HDL and lower your LDL. Uh, so, Don, do you have the idea, or is your cholesterol good, bad, or ugly?
2: I got it tested whenever I first started losing weight, and before I even started losing weight, he said it was okay.
1: Okay. Now, it doesn't always necessarily, that's one of the bad things about cholesterol, um, it doesn't necessarily equate to being overweight to having bad cholesterol. It is uh, kind of a, a mixture of hereditary genetics and diet. So you can be skinny, and if, you eat, and if your diet consists of, 300 calories of bacon at breakfast, 400 calories of pork lard at lunch and 700 <laughs> calories of beef bacon for dinner. You're probably going to have high cholesterol.
0: Man, what an awesome diet that would be though.
1: <laughs> because there there's they there's foods that they call they call them fat scrubbers that help move the fat out of your bloodstream and things like that. So so there we got the the, the big 3: BP, blood pressure, hemoglobin A1C. And your lipid panel, I would recommend if you don't know right now, kind of where you stand in those things, go get them checked. It should be covered under your insurance. If you have insurance, if not probably your neighborhood Rite Aid or Walgreens, or somebody will have a, a health screening, free health screening. Just Google it. Use the Googles to find a free health screening in your area. If you're on Medicare, this is absolutely covered under your yearly, your physical under Medicare. Um, so get those things checked out. Now, cardiologists and people like that, they do something, they use a thing called the Framingham uh, risk calculator, Framingham risk calculator. And you can Google that and find millions of links. I'll put you a link of it uh, in the show notes. Um, but the Framingham risk calculator, what it does, it takes your uh, your gender. So in my case, I'm a male. takes your age. Um, if you're under 35, it's not necessarily been validated for that or over 74. They haven't done enough studies to really know. Um, so I'm I fall in the 40 to 44 category. Your total cholesterol, which I believe mine last time was 192, I'm gonna put that in uh, the 160 to 199 category. My HDL was actually low. So I'm in 35 to 44 category, so I'm gonna put that in there. It was like 37 last time. My blood pressure that has a 120 and 180 and 80 below, or then then it they only care if one of your systolic or diastolic is bad. If one's bad or the other, they they equate them the same. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm in the 120 to under 80, because that's that's true. And then ask if you're a diabetic or if you're a smoker. And then it gives you a a risk factor based upon uh, those stats. My 10-year risk um, for congestive heart disease or cardiac heart disease is 4%. uh, Comparative risk to the same age sex, in other words, the general population is 7%. So if you're, if I'm I'm just going to throw some numbers in there for fun. So if I'm a guy, and let's say I'm listening to this podcast and I'm 53, and my total cholesterol was 249. And my HDL was less than 35 because I never work out and I don't eat anything that's good for me. And my blood pressure was the 140 over whatever that we had. And I'm a diabetic because my blood sugar's bad. Now I have a 31% chance of having some kind of coronary episode, whether that's a stroke or heart disease or heart attack or any of those kind of things in the next uh, 10 years. So I would say get your numbers and plug them in and see what happens. You might even be able to ask your doctor, what's my Framingham? They may even be able to tell you. Um, so I just thought that was kind of interesting to plug those numbers in and, and see what, what comes up. Mark, are you plugging the numbers in? I am. I can see Mark's eyes. He's like looking at this.
0: <laughs>
1: and notice it doesn't take into account your weight.
0: I'm just playing with the numbers to see what affects it the most. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And HDL and smoker. Uh, smoker adds 3% just immediately. Yeah. Uh, and diabetic adds another 3% immediately.
1: Yeah, if you go, uh, actually, there's another um, website, framinghamheartstudy.org. I'll put this one in the show notes also. Um, this is this is this kind of answers your question, Mark, exactly what you're looking at here. I'm going to throw that in the show notes now so you can go ahead and look at it, and we'll put it in the show notes for the listeners. Um, what it does is it breaks it down by age, by cholesterol, by ACL, by blood pressure, how many points each of those things are. So it tells you right up front. Like if you're 60 to 64 years old, you get 10 points. If your HCL is less than 40, you get 2 points. If your blood pressure is 140 or 140, 159, and it's untreated, you get two points. That kind of thing. So it tells you um, right up front, men and women. It's kind of nice. So you, if you're if you're a statistician, statistician, say that for me. Statistician, if you like stats, that's an easy way to see how they're calculating it. Uh, and they've used the Framingham a lot. In fact, I built in our EMR at the uh, the organization I work for a Framingham calculator that would ba- that would pull patients' data, calculate the Framingham dump it out into a script based on low, medium, and high risk so people could be contacted about the possi- possibility of being in a cardiac study for different um, treatments and medications. So, um, yeah, so Framingham is kind of interesting. Just That's kind of a bonus thing. So uh, moving right on, so you got your you got the big three risks, blood pressure, people A1C, and, uh, as, a, as I said, your lipid panel. But there's another thing that people bandy around a lot, and I thought I would just throw it out there, talk about it for a second, the body fat body fat percentage. Um, I started out, my body fat was 42%. So that means almost half of me was fat. <laughs> Some people would say it's more than that, but, uh, <laughs> another half full. Um, I'm down to about 27%. So I'm approaching normal. Uh, I've got the stats here in the show notes. Men, 18 to 25% is normal or average women. 25 to 31% is average. They have a little bit more subcutaneous fat. Um, You start getting lower than that. Then you move into what they categorize as athletic and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Um, Over that, they consider it unhealthy. And there's, again, risk factors associated with it. Those things cause your blood pressure to be higher. Those people typically have higher diabetic uh, rates, that kind of thing. But what's kind of interesting, I I wrote in the notes here, it's inexact science because there's a couple of ways to get your body fat. Have have either of you guys ever had your body fat taken?
0: No.
2: And, like high school with the thing they used to pinch the back of your arm calipers. So yeah. one,
1: the one, one way to do it because it's cheap is a caliper and they pinch the fat on, like Don said, the back of your arm or on your chest uh, or on your thigh or on your belly. And they have equations that they've come up with based on your height and your gender and how much fat they can pinch. Um, what your body fat is. It's just, it's just average r- estimates based upon people. Yeah. It's like an um, actuarial
0: they, table of fat. Thank you. Um,
1: and see, for me, I've always had thick skin. So it was really funny because the guys that when they were doing mine in college, they almost couldn't caliper me on my chest <laughs> because they couldn't get it to, to pull my skin up. And I, you know, I, even when I was really fat, my skin was still fairly taut and thick. I didn't never have the, the gushy fat in most places, just in my belly. Um, but another way to do it is electric electrical current. What they do is they either stand on two plates and the current passes up through your legs. And back up through one leg and down the other leg, or you hold a thing out in front of you with your hands and it passes through one arm and back. And muscle has a different resistance level than fat. Again, based upon tables and things they've done. They use that to calculate your based on your height and your weight.
0: Yeah, and you can buy scales at the sharper image catalog that have exactly. those little things in it. That's that's a fairly inexpensive and easy way to do it. Exactly. It's also and inexact. It,
1: yeah, exactly. It's not as it's more exact than the calipers usually, but again it's inexact because since it's only going through your arms or only going through your legs, it doesn't take into account people who have abnormal levels of body fat, whether it's extra or or less. You know, they maybe have fat arms and not as fat a belly, or they have a huge pot belly but fairly thin arms. Um, and uh, so, again, inexact. Submersion has kind of always been the holy grail of it, uh, where they stick you in a tank of water and see how much water you displace. <laughs> <laughs> and calculate it, you know. So basically, your your total density. But again, that's still some formulary. So the 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 kind of the newest thing is uh, it's a, like a body scan, like an MRI type scan that they do that can actually target the areas of your body that are fat and really using real science tell you that. But it's super expensive for what you get. So if you're interested, do the electrical current. I do it because it allows me to attract change. I don't really go by the fact that I'm 27%. I don't really care about that. But I know that I've gone from 42 to 27 using the same device in the same manner. So I've su- seen I've successfully lowered my body fat. So yeah, that's, you've
0: cut it in half even if that half isn't accurate.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm seeing a positive trend. Uh, it also helps me um, because you can take that percent of body fat and you can multiply it times your weight, and that will tell you how many pounds uh, take, actually take the inverse of it. So if you have 27% body fat, that means you have 73% lean muscle mass, which is supposed to be your bones and muscles and so forth. So I can take my weight and multiply it times 73%, and that tells me my lean muscle mass. So what I've been kind of watching is I don't want to see my weight go down 100 pounds and 50 of it be muscle. Right. And I have lost a little bit of muscle because my legs are no longer the size of, uh, tree trunks because they don't have to carry around 400 pounds anymore. So my thighs have actually gotten smaller. I still have pie pie calves. I don't know why. My calves are still the size of most people's heads. Um, maybe they'll never shrink. I'm not sure, but it's true. Uh, and my, my, my arms have gotten a little bit smaller. I've been working on, you know, my chest and arms a little bit, trying to just pull up some of the extra skin. So anyway, you're such fat. a
0: cartoon character. You have Popeye calves and Fred Flintstone feet. And, and... I do actually. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh,
1: but I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang my hat on my body fat percentage, but if you're interested in it, there's ways to check it. Um again, I'm more worried about personally for me being fit, being healthy, feeling feeling good, having my my three risk factor things being better than I am my fat. Now, I just said body fat was inexact science. BMI is bad science.
0: Yeah, if you body want to know, mass yes, index.
1: Yes, it's a, it's a totally arbitrary formula made up by some dude sometime. They use it for all kinds of things like insurance. I can't. Yeah. I'm shocked that people still use it for stuff. Um, if you just Google BMI is a crock, you'll find all kinds. Of-
2: <laughs> now, Aaron, wait a second. You you can't tell me that my Wii does not know whether or not I'm healthy. <laughs> that thing came with a scale, and it bounces around on the screen and tells me how much I weigh, and then it tells me that I'm overweight.
0: Calculating. Calculating. Yeah. Well, see, BMI is, I don't want to steal your thunder, but it's basically oh, it. how tall you are versus how much you weigh, plain and simple. So you take the average um, uh, WWE wrestler with his super ripped body that could bench press a small truck, and according to his BMI, he's morbidly obese.
1: I mean, it's like, for example, here's one of the formulas. There's multiple formulas out there. It was developed in 1830, to give you an idea.
0: (laughs) I think we may have learned a few things since 1830.
1: Uh, I'm going to read it right out of the wiki, so it's got to be true. It's a heuristic proxy for human body fat based on an individual's weight and height. BMI does not actually measure the body fat. It was invented between 1830 and 1850, not discovered but invented, by Belgian polymath Adolphe Quetelet during the course of developing social physics. So, uh, one 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 formula they use for it is your mass in pounds times 703 divided by your height in inches squared. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, that sounds very scientific.
1: Exactly. So there's there's actually a whole um photo blog of, of bmi people it's like this person's obese and it looks, it's like you know an athlete this person's normal and she looks like she weighs like 14 pounds wet this person's normal and she looks normal this person's uh healthy and, and they look like they're maybe 30 pounds overweight and i mean it, it's it's totally arbitrary so what i tell them because when i do my body fat thing at my employee physical thing with my with the thing that I hold that runs the electrical current through me, it also spits out your BMI as part of it does. And I just tell them, they tell me and your BMI is this. And I was like, okay, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> That's made up. And they're like, what? The BMI is made up. And I actually had a nurse say that to me. What do you mean it's made up? I said, a, uh, uh, a guy in the 18, early 1800s said, if we take your height and divide it by your weight times two squared, it'll give us a number that tells you how fat you are. Well, no, it doesn't. For a certain subset of average people, it'll give. If you're right in the middle of the bell curve, it'll give you. It'll tell you that you're in the middle of the bell curve. If you're outside the bell curve, you're out of luck. So I'm telling you, from Aaron's point of view, feel free to spit on your BMI and ignore it, and <laughs> all other ways, kick it to the curb and chastise it. Don't even worry about it. If your blood pressure is good, and your A1C's good, and your lipid panel's good, and your body fat's coming down, and you feel great. Don't worry about your BMI.
0: Yeah, a five-second glance at somebody will tell you more about their health than the BMI will.
1: Right, and I'm just praying for the day that it just goes away. It becomes, you know, the dodo bird of of uh, healthcare because it it needs to be extinctualized.
2: But Aaron, We Fit cannot calculate my (laughs) lipid panel. What am I supposed to set my goals on?
1: Calculating. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Maybe on how many body how many planks you can do on it i don't know what they're gonna do Uh, yeah the bmi is just crazy don't do it just step away from the bmi
2: it won't it won't calculate
1: my planks (laughs) it knows how many you do because like when i tried to do the planks the first time it said apparently this exercise was too intensive for you (laughs) (laughs) because i only did like four (laughs) i said you're right mr little wee guy (sighs) oh i
2: got that too
1: yeah so people out there listening to this um Get your stats checked. Know your numbers. Make some make some decisions based off of it. I will tell you one of the three main factors that got me motivated to get healthy was the fact that I had diabetes. Uh, Six point nine A one C is diabetic, and that got me getting started. And um, which we're, this is going to segue us right into our eat less tip. Um, I jokingly said that when I decided to make some dietary changes, and I've talked about them before, I made some simple dietary changes. One of them was I became a food racist. Um, <laughs> based totally on the color of the food i decided to exclude them. um so i cut my white potatoes out i cut my white rice out and i cut my white bread out and when i say cut it out i severely curtailed it and replaced it with something healthier when i could
0: but cauliflower is still okay right yes
1: uh but white bread you know um like we typically grew up on mrs baird's and white rice and um good old plain american white potatoes while they don't have a lot of fat in them uh, they are high in uh, calories a lot of times and the type of starts that they are converts quickly to blood, to blood sugar. And so for a diabetic, those are not really good things um, they are, From what I understand, again, this is just totally my anecdotal studies and things I've read. I'm not a physician. Uh, it tends to make your blood sugar spike when you eat it and then crash and then spike and then crash. And so I just decided to, we already ate wheat bread most of the time, but we quit buying dinner rolls and Hawaiian bread and things like that replaced white rice with brown rice. And my wife hates sweet potatoes. She detests orange food um, of any type except for raw carrots. Why? I don't know, but she doesn't like cooked carrots or sweet potatoes. So we just stayed away from the white potatoes or if we ate them, I, ate, you know, for example, like Mark, I know you probably grew up same thing I did and probably still do roast potatoes and carrots, right? Absolutely. Put it in the crock yeah. pot and cook it all day and it tastes awesome. Well, what I did is I, I opted for a little bit smaller piece of roast, and I tried to keep the fat cut off of it. That was a little healthy tip there, a little side tip. And then I would do like three times the amount of carrots to the potatoes. So I would get one small white new potato, you know, about the size of a big, little between a golf ball—I mean, a, between a tennis ball and an egg—you know, as maybe as big as a tennis ball—and and then I eat a bunch of the carrots. Now um, carrots are kind of a sugary food too, but they're not quite as bad for you as, as white potatoes. So. Um, That's what I did, and that seemed to really help my blood sugar.
0: Yeah, and those sort of things depends on the kind of person. For some people, it's easier to have none than some. Yeah. Um, And that's why diets like the Atkins diet or the the South Beach diet work for them because they can say – None. No sugar, no starches, nothing. And that's easier than moderation because, you know, it's like an alcoholic can't drink in moderation. Oh, I,
1: Believe me, I understand. That's what I used to say. If I was a drug addict, I quit drugs. If I was a smoker, I could quit smoking, but I can't quit eating. But the problem is, and this is where where, where people get to, is you can't stay on the, on the Atkins diet forever. Right. Um, i would be honest with you, I don't know enough about the South Beach to say if you could stay on it or not. The Mediterranean diet is one of the healthiest diets that is long-term sustainable. Um, and I would recommend that to people, um, if you're just looking for a diet to try to follow ongoing, but yeah, it is hard, um, to make that choice and eat that one potato instead of that three potatoes.
0: Uh, but you know, any making any change in your life is going to be hard. Uh, I think we said that in our first episode, just accept that, suck it up and move on. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You just got to do it. If you, if you expect to have any change in your health, you got to make some changes in your life. There's a long way around it. Um, and so an exercise more tip, um, is fuel yourself after a workout. You know, I used to be of the mindset I just went and worked out really hard. I don't want to go eat something now and waste all that workout I did. You know, it was like in my mind I had this correlative that if I worked out I had to not go eat afterwards because I didn't want to didn't want to blow all the work I did. But really the truth is that you do expend a lot of calories and a lot of work uh a lot of energy when you work out and your body needs to recover from that. Um so, you know, this guy that wrote this article and it's seems pretty good to me reading through it um so I, I endorse it as much as my endorsement is worth um he recommends eating about 50 percent of the calories you just burned i don't really go that crazy um but i do typically eat something after i work out uh of course pickle's is my favorite snack you know that but i'll eat some yogurt or i'll eat something i'll eat some kind of something i definitely drink some powerator or water or uh, that kind of thing big backing up again absolutely hydrate when you get done drink Couple of big glasses of water, you know, don't just down them ice cold and make it sick your stomach, but drink some water, drink some Gatorade, and then eat something that really does help. This guy does a lot of, he, he breaks it down pretty well. You know, 60% of your calories should be from carbohydrates. Um, it's not as important as people say about the protein as they used to talk about it. I guess if you're really, really hitting the weights hard, that might be possible. Um, possibly an exception, but in general, my whole point of all this is that I'm rambling on and on about is after you work out, eat something. Now, don't,
0: yeah, he makes I'm a good point in, uh, sorry and he makes a good point in this article uh, that I, I I like it makes sense to me is uh right after you work out that's the time to have that sinful sweet you know have a chocolate chip cookie there because your body is in a mode of burning and it's right. it's going to be more absorbed than it would be as the last thing you eat before you go to bed
1: well, and, and also, usually, um, it would be the only thing or part of a smaller thing you've eaten as opposed to, I just ate a thousand calorie meal. Now I'm going to eat a cookie on top of it. Right. You know, part of spacing your meals out. But, you know, of course, obviously, don't go run three miles and to reward yourself, get a double meat cheeseburger and large fry. Uh, that is a little counterproductive.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I did say a cookie, not a exactly. sleeve of cookies.
1: Right. I, you know, one of my favorite things used to be, to do when I was uh, younger, living at home. This sound. This may sound crazy to most of the people out there. Maybe we have some fat people listening. They may say, oh, I've done that. Saltine crackers. I'm more of a cracker than a cookie guy most of the time. Regular sleeve of saltines. Um, Don, Mark, you know what I'm talking about? Just the saltine, oh, the brand saltine? Yeah. Visco Saltines, right. I would take a tub of butter, not Olestra, not parquet, not margarine, a tub of butter, a butter knife, a sleeve of crackers and a quart of sweet tea this is butler sweet tea mind you've you We've never had butler sweet tea it's one of the one of the it's the eighth wonder of the world you can uh, pour it on with,
0: pancakes it's, yeah, it's it has made, the
2: viscosity measured with a w in the middle
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's made with water from a water well that's only found at at the uh, original casa de butler and no sweet tea tastes any anywhere else in the world tastes like my mom's sweet tea but anyway quart jar sweet tea, and I would take my butter knife, I would take a cracker, I would take the butter, and I would cover it to look like a Pop-Tart with, those, with the frosting glaze, and I would eat that cracker, and I would eat the entire sleeve of crackers. Um, and I have to confess
0: tea. to having done that. It, maybe it's just a southern thing, but yeah, I don't know. butter and, and saltines. Yeah,
2: Done it. Done a sleeve of Ritz and peanut butter as... <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> never, you know, done, recently, never done a whole really sleeve
1: could. of Ritz with peanut butter. I've done a whole sleeve of grits. I mean uh, Ritz, but um, I've also done a whole sleeve. I you know I just said I'm a cracker guy. I've done a whole sleeve of, uh, of Chips Ahoy, um, chocolate chip cookies, and a quart glass of milk, also before too. Um, <laughs> but anyway, after you work out, fuel yourself. So,
2: not with Oreos.
1: Yeah, not with a whole bunch of Oreos. Maybe one or two. Just watch them; they're, they're so. high calorie. I'm telling you, especially those Neapolitan ones, right, Mark? 110 <laughs> calories per double decker. So, Don, Mark, anything else before we uh, tell people how to
0: find us? Uh, just one quick anecdote. You were talking about the Wii Fit, Don. You you seem to uh, be very fond of that. Uh, I bought well, I'm my... going to have to go
2: with the Zumba now because so the We Fit's not doing it for me. I,
0: I bought okay. my wife a Wii Fit. Um, for Christmas. Now, that's a dangerous thing, guys. Don't go buy your wife uh, weight loss stuff for Christmas. But she had asked for it specifically.
1: Um, the, year before it, get her, the year before she you get her new laundry basket
0: and a <laughs> an membership board,
1: to Costco. Yeah. I got her an ironing board and a and frying pan. Yeah.
0: Um, no, but anyway, she asked for it. And so I, I actually made her sign a contract that said, I will not divorce you if you buy me a Wii Fit for Christmas. Um, but uh, she doesn't like it. And here's why. She had been doing uh, the Jillian Michaels 30 Day Shred thing. You guys familiar with that? Jillian, I'm, I'm Michaels. With Jillian Michaels, yeah. She's one of the the chicks from the Biggest Loser. And this workout is it's not the Insanity workout, but it's pretty insane, and it's three levels. And she had been doing this for several months. And in 30 minutes, you work all your core body groups, and it's just uh, there are really fit women who do these videos with her, and they're panting and barely standing up at the end of it. And she had worked her way all the way from level one to level three over the course of about a year, uh, lost about 70 pounds in the process, uh, along with some dieting, did you know all that sort of stuff. And then she gets on the Wii, and it takes her an hour and a half to do less of a workout. <laughs>
1: Yeah, It really is recreational, like, people. It's not a weight loss program. Uh, what's really funny is the first time I got on, after I have already lost 120 pounds or whatever, it's like, oh, you really need to lose some weight. you know? <laughs> it's like, how about a little encouragement here, little wee guy?
2: you know? Yeah, his little shocked, oh, always got to me every <laughs> single time.
1: Right, and then it, you do the test, and then the guy leans over and shakes his head. Oh,
0: like, oh come on now. Give me a little love here, wee. So, Mark, um, interwebs, hit us with it. ElementOP.com. Find other podcasts. Find forums for this show. Uh, find good people just like yourselves.
1: Exactly. I would recommend um, that you check out the upcoming Hot Route, the newest ElementOP production. The The Pilot, 2, pilot 2.0 pilot two should be coming out anytime time now, right, Mark?
0: Actually, it, uh, as of the recording date, it came out yesterday, and there's another one coming out tomorrow. We're releasing two this week.
1: Awesome. Fantastic. Tis the and season
2: for football. Yes.
1: It is. It is the season for football. If you if you if you go to com and you want even more one meal one workout stuff, you can jump over to the to the home site there www.onemealoneworkout.com. Uh I tend to I try to put a little post up there about once a week uh, some kind of encouragement or what have you and get to all our other interwebs activity activity, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc. so forth. Or you can always just email me. At double A R O N at one meal, one and uh, we'll be glad to answer any questions or give you any feedback or encouragement or whatever we can do to help you. Mark, Don, great to be with you. Go out, take over the world one meal at a time, one workout at a time.
0: Always a pleasure. Let's do it.
1: Remember, before starting any diet or exercise program, it's recommended that you consult your health care provider.